Hi, my name is Chris, and I'm the host of the Burning Life Youth Podcast, the show where we talk to young birders to find out what makes them tick. On this podcast, my co-host Mark Haystick and I had the wonderful opportunity of speaking to Josh Klein. We spoke about his work in raptor rehabilitation, as well as many other topics. So without further ado, please welcome Josh. All right, so I want to welcome to the show our co-host, Mark Haystick, and a big, big welcome to our guest for today, Josh Klein. Thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh. So I'm 22 years old, uh, well, 22 in February, <laughs> um, and for the past 12 years, I've been involved in bird of prey rehabilitation um, and just um, volunteering at centers um, across the country. I'm originally from KZN. I'm now living in George. And in KZN, I, when I was 10 years old, I started volunteering at the African Bird of Prey Sanctuary. And I started learning all about the birds of prey. And that's where I got my passion for them. And as it went on, I started helping out at other centers across the years, um, like Free Me, KZN, and Crow Down in Durban. And... So, yeah, I have a passion for my raptors and, yeah. <laughs> like you say, you're involved in raptor rehabilitation. How, why, and when did you decide to actually get involved in this? Because this is quite a strange place to actually get involved. Yeah. Um, so, basically, um, when I was volunteering at the African Bird of Prey Sanctuary in KZN, I, um, I enjoyed the birds and everything, um, but I'm not much of a people's person. <laughs> So at the at the Bird of Prey Sanctuary um, is where all the guests come and the, the non-releasable raptors there are on display for educational purposes. And um, so you're dealing with people as well as the birds. Um, but there was also the rehabilitation side of it, Raptor Rescue Rehabilitation Center. And I had the opportunity to, to rather go and help on, on that side of things. So that's what I did. I jumped right in there and then focused only on the birds and um, not really working with people as well. Um, yeah, and then my passion for it just grew <laughs> as I started to learn more. And what are some of the things that you've learned about raptors that you think a lot of people might not see when they are looking at them through the binos? Like, what is something that you've learned working close with these birds? Well, there's there's been a few things, um, and... Through when when a bird's up close with you and it's in your hand or um, you you're examining it on an examination table or or something like that to that effect or you know you're dealing with it um, up close then you see a lot more um, features if I can say and and you can kind of see okay the jackal buzzard has a big head <laughs> compared to your step buzzard um, and certain shapes of its head and you know the, the different things like that and then with your owls um things i learned is um, about their facial dish for example and how that works and how the facial dish catches um, sounds and pushes it into their ears and with your barn owl their ears aren't on the same level the one is um, actually higher than the other one um, and the one is square and the one is round um, and they have selective hearing, so they have little flaps over their ears and they choose what they want to hear. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's uh, not only uh, things that I, I learned with how to um, identify birds, but rather also 
more details about the birds, having them so close up. And um, you weren't always a birder per se, like you didn't really go looking out for birds. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, you and Mark. How did you actually take that first step in birding? Like, what was the first thing that you did? Did you go out and get a certain book or was it first binos? What was it? Yeah, well, I, so my mom used to work on, um, it's a Pinder Game Reserve in KZN. Um, so she's always had a passion for wildlife as well. And she, we've always, she's always looked at the birds and stuff. So it's a bit of influence from there. And um, then I started volunteering at the African Bird of Prey Sanctuary. And then I got the influence for raptors. And then when I moved to George, I, um, and then the lockdown happened and then there was the lockdown birding challenge and on bird lesser and i heard heard about it through the the one group i am on for the george birding area and so i decided to join that and test my abilities on the on your normal basic birds um or as i usually call them the the raptor food birds <laughs> um so yeah and and then just recently, actually, I got my first Roberts book. We had an old one in the house, um, but I got the new one. Um, yeah, and I, we had some binos lying around uh, from my mom. So, yeah. And do you think that working up close and personal with raptors actually, has actually helped you learn how to identify them in the field? Yes, um, of course. Um, in certain aspects, yes, um, and in others, no. But definitely, and so when I started volunteering, I didn't really have an interest in um, raptors themselves, but I did have an interest in wildlife in general. So I didn't, um, before that, have a bird book and be like, okay, this is the identification features according to the book, how to identify these birds. I kind of just, as I volunteered, um, I... Um, set up in my mind my own identification features for each of the birds so it's pretty difficult um, for me when when i see a raptor and i, and I identify it as as something say a warburg's eagle um or anything then and someone asks me okay how do you identify it sometimes it can be tricky for me to say um no it's because of this and that because i didn't really have a book that was like okay these are the identification features but rather working with them i've seen okay this is a peregrine falcon and that's a long-crested eagle and this is the differences that i see on them etc etc so yeah um i think i've i've interviewed you enough so far so I heard that there's a little bit of controversy in uh, the garden roots. And Mark, are you willing to take over and tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> well, firstly, how's it, guys? It's great to be back on the podcast and as my first time as a co-host. Uh, but yeah, let me open this discussion. Um, I think the main question is to, to you, Josh, uh, does the mystery buzzard exist? Because there's this huge mystery going on in the Western Cape about these interesting buzzards uh, that we've seen and even recently. Um, so could you answer that, Josh? Yeah, so I believe that um, personally there isn't a, <laughs> a mystery buzzard. Um, but yeah, so working with the, 
raptors up close. I've I've seen very different um, or many different um, morphs um, and uh, different stages of the birds and molts um, in buzzards and and all the other birds too. But um, yeah, with the buzzards, I've seen lots of different stages um, and lots of different um, color morphs. Like I say, um, so I think that when someone can't um, relate to to what they normally identify a, a certain species of buzzard with um, with certain identification points, um, then they kind of label it a mystery buzzard. Um, for example, when we I, I went on an outing with the Lakes Bird Club um, as a guest or or whatnot, and we were driving in um, the Mossel Bay area. Um, on our way to full flay, I think. And there was a buzzard in the field and in my car with, I think Mark was in my car. Um, Justin may have also been in the car. And I identified it as a step buzzard. Um, and then when we drove a bit further and everyone stopped and got out of the car, um, they all, a couple people asked, oh, did, did you see that that buzzard? And I was like, yeah, it was a step buzzard. And they were kind of leaning towards, no, it's a mystery buzzard. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but, I mean, many people look at a buzzard, and we've got three buzzards in the area that look very similar um, and can very often be misidentified because of their different stages in plumage and age. So what are, like some of the features that can be distinguished between the jackal buzzard common and forest in the area and even uh, through habit, because uh, you obviously identified that common buzzard or buzzard, shall we say, by something that you had noticed uh, that showed to point towards a step buzzard. So what are some of those features that you might be able to explain? Well, yeah, I'll I'll do my best to explain, <laughs> but like I said earlier, um, it's quite difficult to explain sometimes when I when I identify a bird because, like I said, I didn't learn from the books uh, on identification features. I kind of just have this um, my own um, points, but yeah. So with your forest buzzards, obviously. They, they've got a lot of white in them and that light brown um, and a pale eye most of the time. Um, and then they also, they have a certain head shape um, as opposed to your jackal buzzard um, and your common buzzard. Um, your common buzzard and your, and your forest buzzard are, are very much alike in their shape and whatnot, but there is small differences that... I guess I am able to notice because I have had them close up to me. Um, so yeah, and um, you get so many different colors on these birds. So I usually just fall back onto um, their, okay, this is the head shape and um, your jackal buzzard most of the time has a rufous tail. Um, and, you know, there's a couple things that I fall back onto, but usually the, if I can say body shape um, and 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 wing shape, if they in flight, uh, those those are some things that are that I look at. Yeah. Okay. And uh, do the, the the two the forest and the common have a difference in head shape to the to the jackal? 
yes, according to me, they do. Um, the jackal buzzard has a much bigger head, and um, it's it's almost rounder, um, and they have a bigger eye than um, your step and your forest buzzard. Yeah, your step and your forest buzzard is very difficult um, when it comes to head shapes, um, but uh, there is small differences which um, I am able to notice. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Josh. That's interesting. All right, cool. And then um, you also told me a story uh, when we had our pre-podcast interview about um, when you were in a field, you and Mark, when you were in a field and a whole bunch of Swifts flew over and you, one of you said something, it was like an Alpine Swift and the other one corrected. So can you tell me that story? Yeah, so um, <laughs> one of the first times I met Mark, we went, we were birding in the george botanical gardens and um there was a couple swifts in the sky um and there was also a peregrine falcon um it must have been a tsl or a male bird um but mark had identified it as an alpine swift um and he said hey do you see the alpine swift and i said to him no um wait that's that's a peregrine falcon um so yeah uh, maybe mark can explain a little bit more about the the story <laughs> yeah well yeah we were, we were standing in the parking lot and uh so I, I just before i said hi to josh i said i didn't want him to miss it because i thought it might be a new bird for him because at this stage even though it's just a few months ago he was still i could say more of a beginner bird so I said, check out that there's, there's an alpine surf. You see that big one flying between the, the, the white trump surfs. And he said, where? Do you see that? I, I, I don't see the alpine surfs. Do you see that peregrine falcon? I was like, no, that's the alpine surf. And so he actually corrected me and we figured out. And I totally agree. That was definitely a peregrine falcon. So I think being a raptor enthusiast and growing up with this knowledge, you kind of have a speciality. Uh, to uh, notice the shapes and uh, gist of raptors a lot easier than um, normal birders do because you've grown up mainly focusing on them. So you, I think that having that, you have so much more of an advantage um, in identifying raptors. And you you kind of nailed me there. Uh, as I thought it was a, uh, a swift and it was actually a falcon. Um, but then again, alpine swifts are one of the biggest swifts in the world. So... <laughs> I wasn't uh, too off course, but I was definitely wrong. That's true. So we've all identified uh, a rock dove as something else already, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, anyway, so um, you and Mark, you and Josh have birded together for a while now. Um, how long have you guys actually been birding together and how has your, your friendship actually helped one another? Well, I believe we, we actually started getting together more often uh, after lockdown, the regulations eased a bit. And, uh, you know, after lockdown, people started getting out a bit more and more rarities were starting to get found. So as, as far as I can remember it, um, you know, a rare bird would rock up in Mossel Bay or in Plettenberg Bay and uh, Josh would kind of say, he's interested in what's this, you know. And I'd say, well, listen, it's a rarity. I want to go see it. It's it's big. That's all you need to know. So um, <laughs> in a nutshell, he would end up giving me a lift and uh, he would kind of get guided to 
see this rarity that um, he wasn't too sure about. But in the process, we both learned and uh, I got lips with Josh. And so from then on, we haven't just been twitching together. We've kind of developed to go out and we're doing outings. Uh, and not just Josh and I, but Justin would come along too and we'd be the two of us doing. Um, and yeah, so I think um, it basically started just after lockdown, developed from going on twitches together to see these special birds. And now we've kind of got onto uh, going on a, on our private birding outings every now and then. Um, so through that, our friendship has kind of grown and got to know each other better. Um, and yeah, it's been fun. And then finally, just before we, we leave, I just want to find out how can people get more involved in um, raptor rehabilitation? Yeah, so to, to get more involved in raptor rehabilitation, you would have to start off by um, volunteering somewhere. And when you start volunteering, you don't just um, go straight into um, working with the birds. Uh, you start at the bottom and you start by cleaning cages and just, or rather cleaning enclosures um, and maybe preparing some food and, and doing some dirty work. Um, and then slowly as you progress, you'll, you know, you, you, you start to help out with more things and you start to learn more. So I'd say, Find your um, nearest um, wildlife rehabilitation center or um, or something similar to that, and um, inquire about volunteering. But yeah, to to do rehabilitation, uh, it's obviously all permitted, so uh, don't try it by yourself. Um, rather, find a center and um, yeah, ask them how you can help them. Thanks so much, Josh and Mark. Fantastic! I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, Chris. I've, I think I've taken down some notes of the buzzards. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> and I, I, th I think I'm going to get you back on the show sometime again, Josh, because if I need some help identifying a raptor, I'm definitely going to come to you. Yeah, I know for sure. You can uh, <laughs> message me anytime or give me a call. That's, that sounds great. <laughs> Once again, I just want to thank Josh for such an awesome podcast. I also want to thank Mark Astick for being my co-host tonight. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. And until next time, happy birding. <laughs>